choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. We really have to cut back on the music because I cannot wait to say Faster My good evening and welcome Howard Parkin for the October edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Faster My to you too. Now, I'm not going to make any silly interruptions and chit-chat or anything because we've got a big (laughs) agenda, haven't we? I'm afraid so. There's just so much going on at the moment, both in the night sky and in the world of space exploration. It's a question of what do we leave out? Well, let's see if we can get all the key points in, because you were just saying uh, just before we, we went on air, that things happening on an hourly basis literally, where space is concerned. Literally, isn't it? this new OSIRIS-REx mission, which we'll talk about after the, the musical break. Uh, there's some news from that only this afternoon. Well, let's start with our own beautiful skies. And we did a little bit of stargazing, we did didn't indeed, we, ladies earlier and on? gentlemen, I can say that Judith came outside when I arrived here this, this evening and she saw the planet Mars for us. I pointed out Mars and the moon. She was able to identify the moon straight away. <laughs> but the very, very reddish coloured Mars was very, very easy to spot. Yeah, and, and it was. It has to be said, because I, I do try. I, I do try to do my homework. But there are some times, some conditions, when the redness of Mars is more apparent. It is, and this is one of them. It's just gone through what we call opposition, um, and that means it's as close to as it's going to be till sometime in the 2030s now. Um, so it comes around every two years like this, and it really is dominating. And it's in a part of the sky as well where there's no other bright star, so it really is unmistakable. And it's very, very easy to spot. All you've got to do is go outside, look about due south around 10 o'clock at night, and you'll see a distinctively bright red object. And it is really quite red, as you pointed out and you saw before. Uh, you can't miss it. But we can actually see, believe it or not, at the moment, even if you had a big telescope or even a small telescope, you can see every single planet this month. Sorry, in November. In November, we can see every single planet in the solar system are visible in the month of November. To start off with, low in the west, we've got the planet Jupiter and the planet Saturn. I've been talking about them for months and I'll no doubt talk about them for a few more months yet because they're slowly getting closer and closer together. Very easy to spot. The moon was right next to them a couple of days ago uh, and really Jupiter is very, very bright, much brighter than Mars incidentally. Um, but Jupiter is um, very, very easy to spot and Saturn just slightly to the right of it. And they're getting closer and closer together. They're going to go for what we call a conjunction on the 21st of December. And I don't want to sidetrack myself, but that's what we think happened way back in about 7 BC, when they think this might have been the start of Bethlehem, a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. But that's a story for another day. So that's the three of them, Jupiter, Saturn and Mars, very easy to spot. Now go to bed, have a couple of hours kip, and then get up again. And I'm talking about now about the 10th of November. Venus is visible in the morning sky, can't mistake it, very, very bright, like a beacon. It always is. When it's in the evening sky, you can't mistake it. When it's in the morning sky, you can't mistake it. Very, very bright indeed. Officially, its magnitude is is, is classified as minus 3.9. Compare that to Mars, um, which is about uh, minus 2.1, I think it is, from memory. Um, That difference, it's a logarithmic scale, so it is quite different. But what I'm quite excited about is the fact that we can catch Mercury. Now, Mercury is the the interloper. You don't get Mercury very often. The best chance to see Mercury in the morning sky is on the 11th of November, or thereabouts, a couple of days each side of it. Go outside, find Venus, drop a line straight down from Venus, and you'll come to a star quite faint star. It's a bright star in the sky, but it's in a lightning sky. It's called Spiker in the constellation of Virgo. That star is your pointer. Go 
Imagine Spiker is in the centre of our clock with Venus at 12 o'clock. Mercury is at 8 o'clock. Brighter than Spiker, which is a great indicator that you're looking at the right object. And then you've got Mercury. So you've got Mercury, you've got Venus in the morning sky, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn in the evening sky. And if you know where to look, you can just about see it with the naked eye. The planet Uranus is visible to the left of Mars. Um, not easy to spot. You really need a telescope or binoculars for it. And it shines with a distinctively greenish hue. Um, but you do need optical aid to find it. Difficult to spot with the naked eye. And if you're really keen and you've got a big telescope or anything else, you can also find in the constellation of Aquarius, which is between where Jupiter and Saturn are and Mars are, the planet Neptune is also visible. So that's seven of the eight planets you can see. The other one, of course, is the one you're standing on. You nearly caught me out on that one, Howard, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> nearly, nearly. Nearly. But that, this is, that is quite remarkable. It is. And, it is. and this so is many. why you say that this is just your favourite time for stargazing oh, with is. the right conditions. Yes, I mean, not just that, because this year it's, it's exceptional to get three planets in the evening sky like that. It is exceptional. I mean, there, are, there are times when you go stargazing in November, in October, whenever it is, and there are no planets around. Uh, that won't be the case for a few years now because Jupiter and Saturn are going to be slowly tracking through the winter sky for us over the period of the next couple of years. Although they will be setting earlier and earlier. So I'm guessing around Christmas next year, I don't think there'll be any planets in the sky next year, this is, but I'd have to look that up. But uh, So make the best of it. But Jupiter, Mars and Venus are unmistakable. Absolutely. And the other great thing about this time of the year, and a few times I've been up, um, for one reason or the other, I've been getting up early. Only this morning, I, I looked out the window this morning, I faced, my house faces south, and there's the constellation Orion dominating the winter sky so bright so significant in the sky and everyone thinks wow it must be winter we've got fantastic stars yes we do but i've mentioned this before the fact that we have bright stars in winter is a coincidence if you're in australia it's the other way around they're in the summer sky for them uh, but the stars of winter are just breathtakingly clear and um it's a great time of the year. We've not done badly recently. We've had a few stormy nights and one thing and the other but there's been a few reasonable clear nights so um Wrap up warm, go outside and see what you can see for yourself. One thing that uh, is very much a plus of social media is that people who are very skilled photographers share their pictures and they often share them just for the pure pleasure of, you know, letting other people see them. And there are occasionally just some breathtakingly beautiful photographs of night skies that oh, yeah. just show you at that moment the conditions are just right and they're just captured and it does just show you how much is in the, in the sky when you can see all the stars oh absolutely the Milky Way we always talk about the Milky Way being clearly visible in Manx skies not when the moon's around the moon is um, interfering if you like at the moment as we head towards of course the full moon on the 31st my granddaughter's telling me oh it's a Halloween moon and it's, it's nothing to do with Halloween it just happens to be a full moon but of course you try telling her <laughs> A nine-year-old that the Halloween moon and the uh, there's no coincidence in it. It's a blood moon, Grandad. No, it's not. It's a blue moon. For anyone who's listening, there is not a blue moon taking place on the 31st of October. It is a blue moon. The term blue moon has nothing to do with the colour. It just means there have been two full moons in the month of October. And the second full moon of the month is always called a blue moon. A blood moon is when we had an eclipse, which we did have a couple of years ago around Halloween. So that's a blood moon. Nothing to do with Halloween. And it's got nothing to do with Halloween anyway, because the moon goes through a cycle, as we all know. But uh, I'm being boring now, so I'll shut up. No, you're, you're, not, you're not being boring. But, but I, think, I think in the interest of your blood pressure, we'd better move on <laughs> from, from the moon right. at Halloween. So. Yes, absolutely. So anything else that is of particular note in the coming weeks? 
Well, the one thing, again, you need a telescope or binoculars for this one and you really need to know where you're looking, but the Andromeda Galaxy is absolutely magnificent this time of the year. It's an autumn feature of the sky. We've got this wonderful group of faint stars called the Square of Pegasus. And Anybody goes outside and just look up at the sky and Mars is actually below left of the Square of Pegasus at the moment. So find Mars, which is dead easy to do, and look up to the right-hand side of it and up a bit and you'll see a distinctive square in the sky. That's the square of Pegasus. Looks just like a winged horse, doesn't it? That's what they tell us anyway. And to the upper left from that, um, between the constellation of Cassiopeia, which looks like a W, uh, you've got the Andromeda Galaxy. Just get your binoculars out on a clear night and just scan that area of the sky and you'll come to a fuzzy blob. We astronomers love fuzzy blobs. And that fuzzy blob was the second ever galaxy discovered, discovered by Edwin Hubble back in 1922 when he realised that the Andromeda Galaxy was not part of the Milky Way and as a consequence the universe grew from one galaxy, the Milky Way, to two. Now, and I've used this statistic loads of times and no doubt will again, we now believe there's one galaxy for every grain of sand on all the beaches of the whole Earth. Now that just is it's a bit profound isn't it it is it, it really is mind-boggling isn't it, it? Is. for every grain of sand every grain of sand on the earth is a galaxy and every galaxy has got as many stars in it as grains of sand as well it's just phenomenal astronomical springs to mind is the word judith <laughs> it's no wonder that you are so absorbed in this subject mm. because it's it's ever everlasting it is it, as we said at the beginning i mean there's some news happened today and uh, that's in space admittedly but it's all part of the same subject and it never ends as you know, I do lots of lectures on cruise ships and all the rest, and so I'm having a bit of a breather at the moment because they're not cruising, so I'm sort of thinking I can sort of ease back a bit. But I can't because I've got to keep updating the lectures, and of course I'm doing lectures all over the island this winter as well. I'm, I'm, I'm virtually cruising this winter. Are I'm you? doing a series of lectures for Manx National Heritage and the Society, the Astronomy Society and myself are doing one on the steam train on the 2nd of January. So watch the local media and the press. There's all sorts of opportunities to to hear one of my lectures uh, or meet one of the other members of the Astronomical Society and um, I've got to make sure I'm up to date because someone will always say, did you know about it? And I think, no, I didn't. How did that happen? So, exactly. Yeah, you've got to keep... I did just actually wonder whether you were virtually cruising because some of the cruise lines are putting something online every day, a little um, a gazetteer of the places that the cruise would have been on had it been sailing, and they're, they're having contributions from their entertainers, perhaps singers or... or, or Talk, you know, who, somebody was giving a talk, and I just wondered whether. Well, but you know, I don't suppose it's not really appropriate, well, is it, it, if you can't get out. We didn't rehearse this, listeners. Honestly, Judith didn't know to mention that to me. But I gave a lecture for Viking Cruises, a live lecture from my house in Onken a few Mondays ago. I gave my Hubble Space Telescope lecture on Viking Television. Yeah. Go to Viking Television and put Howard Parker in. You'll find me, and I deliver my Hubble Space Telescope lecture, which is the one talking about Edwin Hubble discovering the Milky the, Way had it, its companion, the Andromeda yeah. Galaxy. And that was a great opportunity. And bless them, I mean, other cruise lines are doing the same thing. Um, they're making the opportunity to keep their passengers informed and entertained. And it was in the middle of Space Week, they called this. That's why I did mm. it for them. And uh, I was delighted to do it. And uh, it was great fun. So, uh, But incidentally, that lecture I'm also delivering at The Sound on the 13th of November. But I think all the tickets are sold for that one. So, uh, But watch the Manx National Heritage website. And there's a whole host of other lectures coming up between now and Easter. The sound is such a beautiful oh, place, a isn't it? And that building is made for looking out at the it sky. Is, it is indeed. And it's a stargazing event, but of course it'll be cloudy, so um, in which case you get me giving you a talk instead. Uh, one of these days I'll do a stargazing lecture, and there won't be a lecture, it'll be stargazing outside with my laser pointing everything out. But um, we can live in hope. 
Of course you can. Let's take a little break for music. It's my choice this week, yeah. uh, but but it's it's my choice based on the things that you said you would be talking about. It's all about Venus. Send a little girl for me to thrill A girl who wants my kisses in my arms A girl with all the charms of you Venus, make her fair A lovely girl with sunlight in her hair And take the brightest stars up in the skies And place them in her eyes for me That I always will be true I'll give her all the love I have to give As long as we both shall live Venus, goddess of love that you That I always will be true I'll give her all the love I have to give As long as we both shall live Manilow from his album of favourite 50s tunes and that was all about Venus. Uh, June, thank you very much indeed for your text and uh, June has just uh, texted into the programme, Howard, and he's very much enjoying your enthusiasm for the subject. Now, we need to go back to Venus, don't we, we just for a moment. Indeed. Life in the New Zealand upper atmosphere. Well, this was an incredible story and um, to some extent it's been debunked a little bit recently. But basically, they made this discovery that the, uh, there could be life in the upper atmosphere of Venus. Now, Venus is an extremely hostile planet. It's got the surface conditions that you don't want to think about. Uh, everything is wrong with Venus. It's got a runaway greenhouse effect and all the rest. Um, but this spacecraft, well, these, these measurements made by an observatory, um, detected phosphine in the upper atmosphere. And phosphine is only produced as far as we're aware, by biological processes. So therefore, the implication is there is some form of biological process going on in the upper atmosphere of Venus, which implies some form of primitive um, biological life. <laughs> Whatever sort of life is there? And um, that was a complete shock to all the astronomers. And uh, I know the spacecraft Bepi Colombo flew past it a few weeks ago, 15th of October, um, and we're waiting for the results of that, because that spacecraft's going to Mercury, but it went by Venus to get a gravitational assist. Um, but there's another article in the, in the press only this week to say that they think maybe the 
um, the measurements were slightly askew, although it was double-checked and triple-checked before they announced it. Um, so that's a, an ongoing story, which we'll have to look out for. But when you look up at Venus in the morning sky, when you all get up at four o'clock in the morning to look for Venus, just think there could be life floating around at the top of that, that planet. <laughs> there could be somebody up there pouring out their cornflakes and Absolutely. milk and looking down at a you. Venusian. And saying, and saying, look at that Howard parking down on Earth. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, it's fascinating. And there is so many, there's so much exploration being done that it's really only when they start sending data back that you'll get any real... And you know, Judith, one of the things I say, and I've only started doing this recently in one of my lectures, everything we see is based on observational evidence. It's based on observational evidence with your own eyes. What you see yourself, the redness of Mars... Um, or whether you see the planetary motions or whatever. I'm going back to the ancient astronomers now and Newton and all those sort of people. But then again, modern data is interpreted by spacecraft. Yes, they send the data and human eyes and human brains analyse it and say, maybe this is biological life. And it's what we interpret. Our brains interpret the data. The data is not doesn't lie. The data gives us the information and then we interpret it and that's why science not just astronomy now but that's why science is so fascinating because one person's interpretation may be entirely different to someone else's interpretation but then there might be a half a dozen other things that back it up and it becomes a theory doesn't mean it's it's true it means that's what we think is the case and that's just like the venus story and it, it fascinates me that uh, that's how science works but 10 or 20 years down the line another discovery might impact on a theory that's been that's been backed up by evidence of its time exactly. and, and then you you change yeah. so fascinating this is Fasc- amazing stuff fascinating now uh, the International Space Station. What's the latest on this? Great story, this, because the International Space Station, and I remember it vividly because we did the stamps for the um, post office there for the millennium, and I predicted the ISS would be occupied in the year 2000. It was occupied by the first two crew members, an American and a Russian cosmonaut, on the 2nd of November in the year 2000. So it is 20 years of continuous occupation a week on Monday which is an absolutely incredible achievement. And you think there's been up to as many as eight or nine people when they've had a shuttle and a rotation of a crew, um, some going and some departing. But, of course, we've also had the, the wonders of our Manx astronaut, Nicole Stott, was on board the ISS on two occasions. And I'm sure you may recall that we did a live link with Nicole from the Manx Museum on the 16th of October 2009 when she went up there. And I still can see the faces of those school children when we, they were asking the questions of Nicole. And she was such a wonderful lady. And a bit of a scoop for Manx Radio, I hope. Um, we're working out the details at the moment, but Nicole has agreed to contact the newsroom later this next week and we're going to do a piece with Nicole um, of her memories of being on board the ISS and for what a great opportunity for us to remember and of course we've got this lovely Manx link of Nicole um, being up there in 2009 and again in 2011 and um, hopefully she'll tell us all about her memories and looking down from the window of the space station at the Isle of Man which she couldn't see it because it was so dark and the lights of Uh, Liverpool and Manchester and Belfast and all those sorts of places shine like a beacon. The Irish Sea was just very dark in the middle of the Irish Sea and that's that's one of the things that got us going on the dark sky stuff. I was just going to say it is the the downside. If we want dark sky status, which we have, then we're not going to be visible, are we, than those police places that are so polluted no but i actually show this during my lectures and actually show and you can actually zoom in you can actually make out the crescent shape of douglas bay you can see the lights of the jerby prison and so on but you're really struggling to get that much information from a, a picture which has got the lights of the filed coast and liverpool glaring at you 
but a lovely link and um, we must look forward to that mm. celebrating that anniversary at pretty much Monday, 2nd of November yes so and it's it, and it pretty much coinciding with the first two people going to the space yeah. station originally That's so right. a, a very special anniversary we'll, we will listen out for that here on Manx Radio and if you want to see the International Space Station for yourselves I don't know the exact timings it's visible in the morning sky at the moment until the 8th of November it's passing through our sky it goes for a cycle of visibility as we've mentioned before it's going to be in the visible in the morning sky till the 8th of November but then it'll be in the evening sky from the 21st of November right through to just before Christmas. So you need to look on the Heavens Above website or any of websites will tell you where you can find the ISS visibility. So look at it and think, 20 years they've been up there now. And you know, the other day they launched, literally on the 15th of October, I think it was, they launched um, a Russian spacecraft to the ISS. They got there in three hours, which is unheard of. They usually take about at least six hours. Three hours, three minutes, two orbits, up, bang, rendezvoused. It's just amazing. It used to take them days. It used to take them a day at one stage to get mm. to, to rendezvous. Mm. As we mentioned before, technology is leaping forward all the time. It is. And let's face it, 20 years is not a, a, a huge length of time. No. And yet the progress that has been it made. Is incredible. And speaking of progress, OSIRIS. Oh, yes. NASA OSIRIS. Yes, this is an amazing mission because this spacecraft arrived at the uh, asteroid Bennu arrived at Benno about two years ago, and this spacecraft is going to collect some samples of material from the asteroid and bring it back to Earth. It did that last week. It did this collection. It dropped this collection device onto the surface of Bennu, and it collected the material. And it did it by squirting... The best description I can give of it is, you know the old soda fountains we used to have? We used to have these little green cylinders of gas which you carbonate your, um, yeah. your drink with. Yeah. Well, this spacecraft is carrying three tiny tiny capsules of gas, nitrogen gas in this case, and as the collector touches the surface or gets very close to the surface, they squirt the gas, which is an inert gas, so it's not going to contaminate it. It squirts the gas at the surface, it fluffs up the surface, it makes little tiny rocks bounce around and fell into the collector. But only this afternoon they've discovered. And the other thing they did, they want to know how much they've got. So they spin the spacecraft and how much um, energy it needs to spin it tells them how much they've collected. You can work out the inertia of the material on the end of the arm which has collected the device. It's simple but um, amazing to do. But only today they've announced they've got a slight problem because this sample, about 14 ounces they've collected, which is far more than they, they hoped for. They could have done it again if they wished. Um, and they may still do another sample. But um, they've got a little tiny um, uh, thing to put it in, a little capsule, I suppose you'd call it. But when they put the rock and the samples in the, 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 in the door, in the, in the little... Um, the receptacle, when they tried to close the door, they couldn't because one of the rocks got caught in the door. So they're now frantically trying to stop the material falling out before they obviously bring it back. Um, they'll do it, they will, or they may well let it shake itself free, whatever, and they'll go and collect some more. But it's just incredible what we're doing from this asteroid that's thousands and thousands of miles away, tens of thousands of miles away, and um, it won't get back to the Earth till September 2023. But the whole point is we're collecting material, primordial material, from the origins of the solar system. It hasn't been weathered or denuded by atmospheric processes or volcanicity or anything like that. It's pristine material from the origin of the solar system. That's why it's so enthusiastic to get it. And I look forward greatly to seeing the results of that when it finally gets back here. Utterly amazing. Space exploration is a mix of really simple solutions and really complex innovation, isn't it? It is. And it always amazes me when something goes wrong. They say, well, hang on a minute. 
well, we'll fix it. And I think, hang on, it's, it's halfway to Mars or whatever the, the spacecraft's yeah. going. And yet they, most times they can fix it. There have been some terrible problems. Uh, I, I calls to mind the story of the Manx, not the Manx, the Mars Climate Orbiter that went to Mars and they fired the rockets to get it on its right track for Mars. But they fired it and the measurements came down in pounds per square inch or whatever the, the data was. And they thought it was in kilograms. They got their metric and their imperial mm. measurements mixed up and the spacecraft went straight into Mars and didn't land. And um, that was embarrassing. But that's the sort of stupid thing that can happen. But they learn from these things and that didn't happen again. But we're all human, aren't exactly. we? Exactly. Now, it's make your mind up time now, Howard. We've got a minute and a half left. So you've got to pick the most important topic Ooh, for that minute and a half. What's it going to be? Well, I must say there's something that I'm really pleased we're doing. The Isle of Man Astronomical Society, we've been thinking about doing something like this for some time now. And quite a few of you know about this because we, we did it for this coming weekend. Um, we've opened the observatory to... A number, a small number of people can get tickets from Eventbrite and we put them on the internet um, through Eventbrite. Literally, I think it was on a Saturday and all 40 tickets were sold within about 24 hours. I was amazed. I was delighted and I was amazed. So because of that, we're going to do another one at the end of November. Now, the tickets are not on sale yet. They're not. They will be on Eventbrite in the very near future. Uh, we're going to have the event this Friday. That's our first one. Subject to how that goes, we're hoping to do another one sometime in November. I will put it on Facebook. I'll put it on all the different places and it'll be on the Eventbrite uh, website. Don't worry if you don't get a ticket. If you want one, we hope to do one every month right through till springtime. That is the intention, but we'd like to get one under our belts first. So please watch this space. I'll talk about this next month with you, Judith. And hopefully um, people have always been wanting to come to the observatory. It's, it's an amazing place to see the telescope and what we've got. We can give them a bit of a talk, a cup of tea, etc. So um, we're doing that. So don't email me and ask for tickets because I can't do anything about it until we've had the first event this Friday. And then we'll probably go live the following week. Um, but as I say, don't worry if you don't get them because we intend to do them. If the first one goes well, we will do them again and again. If the first one is a disaster, then there won't be any more. But I'm relatively confident it's going to be straightforward. I'm sure it will be a great success. Howard, we have been beaten by the clock. The time is exactly 10 o'clock and I'm sure that Juan speaks for so many of us when we say we love your enthusiasm. Thank you so much for telling so much in sh such a short space of time. <laughs> you get so much in about our Manx skies and beyond. Mm -hmm. Howard, we look forward to you, you joining us again on the final Sunday of November. In the meantime, later or early hours of tomorrow morning, I will put this programme up as a podcast at manxradio.com. Fast to my Howard Parkin. Fast to my Judith. The Nation Station, Manx Radio.